Wednesday morning a Barnes fellow flew into our sanctuary here at church. It caused uh, quite a commotion during the high school chapel that was happening at that time. I was told that the swallow even let out a little poop, which uh, was popular amongst the ducking high schoolers. When I came in on Thursday morning, I noticed that the little bird was still in our sanctuary. Uh, feeling sorry for the little guy, I, I went over to the door over there and I opened it up, and then I went and got a big, uh, a big container of water. I mean, it had been about 24 hours since this poor bird had had a drink, so I thought. Maybe if I put uh, the big uh, tub of water close to the door, the bird will come down, take a drink, and then leave the sanctuary. Uh, so that's what I did. I went got a big jug. I put it over by, by the door. And the bird was um, just basically uh, flying around up top in, in, in the rafters. Um, every now and then, it would settle on one of these bars or near the windows. But most of the time, it's just kind of frantically going back and forth. So I grabbed a little bit of the water and threw it in the air. <laughs> Over here, this is water. Take a drink. And then, and then you can be free. Um, but the bird, uh, you know, he cocked his head and looked at me, but I'm not sure we really communicated in that way. Um, so not knowing what else to do, I, I left and I went to prepare for my day. Um, but I, I wanted to see if it works, so I came back about five minutes later, and I returned to the sanctuary, and I just entered those doors right in the back, and I, I stopped, and I watched, and I saw the bird right up the center beam, uh, that, that metal pole up there. And then, all of a sudden, the bird swooped down. This is the first time I've seen it come down. Swooped down underneath this beam, and right out the door. And uh, I was so excited. I was like cheering this little bird on. Great job, little buddy. And I said, well, that, that probably took courage, right? For that little bird in the safety zone. It's up there, far away from, from scary people. Um, there's things to land on there. It took great courage to, to fly out the door. And so after encouraging this guy, I went to shut the door and up the water. And as I was walking towards the door, I looked at it wide open. I said, aha, there's the narrow gate that leads to life. So then I went and wrote the introduction to my sermon. <laughs> Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the way that leads to life. And what a few find it. There's a black and whiteness to the picture that Jesus gives us here. Two gates, two roads. One way is broad, and that way leads to destruction. And the other is narrow, and that way leads to life. Destruction this way. Life that way. Destruction over here, life over there. Which way are you going to go? Generally speaking, as Canadian folk get a little squeamish around people who, who see the world simplistically in black and white terms, it's not a compliment to be called 
suppose. Either, either you're on the plane or you're off the plane. Either you're heading uh, east on Agnes Street or you're heading west on Agnes Street. Either you're in Christ and seeking to have Him master your life or you're not. The picture that Jesus gives us comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the first of four rather challenging teachings, the challenging ways to, to end this, this sermon. When I was learning how to preach in seminary, my professor taught, taught me in the class to, to always end our sermons with grace. End with the gospel, he'd say. End with words that help lift people up to experience the, the comfort of God in all its fullness. And this is generally amazing advice, good advice for a young preacher to heed, but, but Jesus evidently didn't get this memo. Which way are you going to go? He says to his disciples. On which foundation will you build? Over here is sand. Over here is rock. You build over here, your house is going to fall down. You build over here, your house is going to remain firm. This path, this path leads to destruction. It's very broad. Many people are walking down this path. But this path over here leads to life. But if you find it, Jesus begins his sermon with grace. He begins by blessing those who are poor in spirit. He begins by promising those who mourn over their sin that, that they will experience the comfort of God. But he ends by exhorting us to make the right choice. Maybe the one of the reasons that Jesus finishes this way is because he wants his sermon to, to go somewhere, to not just be an uplifting Sunday morning experience, but something that is practiced and, and heated and, and lived into. Another reason, perhaps, that Jesus ends this way is because he knows that life, life isn't a game. Our choices they have consequences. You go with the flow long enough, and you may just end up in a dark, lonely place. This is life. This is how life works. And Jesus is loving enough to challenge us to choose wisely. Enter through the narrow gate, he says. What does Jesus mean by gate? And, and this picture in general, he doesn't really... Uh, develop it or uh, describe it for us. Jesus doesn't explain this picture, but it's clear from the rest of the New Testament, I think, that, that here Jesus is talking about himself. He's the gate. I am the gate, says Jesus in John's Gospel. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and, and find pasture. Not long, not long after saying this, Jesus uh, says, Something else to his disciples is very similar. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the gate, which means that the way to life flows through his narrow frame. This is the scandal at the heart of the Christian gospel. In Bible times, this teaching was, was a stumbling block for the Jews and, and and foolishness to the Greeks. And in our modern times, this teaching is shrugged off as being too, exclu too exclusive and, and too narrow-minded. 
himself. And this is why, as C.S. Lewis noted long ago, that, that you can't simply be an admirer of Jesus. Many people, of course, do admire Jesus. They respect his, his uh, ethical teaching. They think it's astounding, really. They also expect, uh, uh, respect his leadership skills in the way that, that he built this huge movement. Um, the problem, uh, but Lord and Savior? No, not Jesus. They, a lot of people admire Jesus, but won't um, come to see him as the Lord and Savior. The problem with this view, this respect but not put your trust in, is that this view ignores a lot of Jesus' actual message. You see, he didn't simply, he didn't see himself simply as a wise sage. He believed himself to be the best thing to happen to planet Earth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. The fullness of life is found in relationship with me. This is so bold, and, and if he's wrong, if he's telling us a lie, and this is very egotistical, to stand up in front of a bunch of people and say, the fullness of life is found in me. That is a bold, bold thing to say. So, that confronts us. Who is he? Is he who he says he is? Or is he an egotistical lunatic? Enter through the narrow gate. Jesus is talking about himself. Um, but he's also talking about conversion to himself. That evangelical decision to accept him as Lord and Savior. You know, in our Reformed tradition, we've tended to, to minimize the moment of this decision-making. Uh, we're covenant people. We baptize our babies. We believe that it was not I who chose Jesus, but Christ who chose me. And we, rightly so, gain a lot of comfort and, and assurance from these, uh, these very rich and true theological um, uh, beliefs of ours. Um, so when I ask many people, or maybe pastoral visits, and I ask many people, um, when did you become a Christian, or how did that story go? A lot of people aren't really sure when it began. I think a lot was baptized. I was raised in a family that was Christian, and I continued on that trajectory. And of course, there's there's so much rich, richness and goodness in this this answer. It's such a blessing to 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 be part of the covenant from birth and and raised in a home that is actively seeking uh, to, to make Christ Lord of that home. And yet it's important to remember that no one enters the narrow gate riding on the shoulders of their parents. Billy Graham once famously said, God doesn't have any grandchildren, only children. And I know that this gets tricky theologically, and there are things here that we need to nuance, but it is true at some point, in order to be a disciple of Christ, that you need to make a break from the flow of history and culture and get on your knees outside the narrow gate and to say, Jesus, you are mine, and I am yours, and I want you to be Lord and Master of my life. On that first Pentecost Sunday, when Peter addressed the crowds, the crowds were broken by God's word and, and 
God's Spirit. And so they asked Peter, what, what must we do? And Peter said, repent. Place yourself in front of the narrow gate and be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. That's the entrance into the way that leads to life. And I'm thinking that another reason this gate is narrow is because you can't take anything but your naked self through it. Repent, said Peter, meaning leave that old life at the door. Those old sins are no longer your master. They have been forgiven. Christ is your new master, and he's going to walk with you down this narrow path. A death takes place as we pass through Christ and into the life that is mastered by him. And this is conversion, says the Heidelberg Catechism. It involves the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. Our baptism and profession of faith liturgy. Um, oh, one thing before that. We'll get to that. Baptism and profession of faith. But it's, it's not that, you got to hear me right here, it's not that you have to have everything together before approaching the gate and being baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Far from it. But we do need to renounce the work of evil in your life and the evil in the world. Our baptism and professional faith liturgy gets this just right, and I always feel the, the weightiness of it when I ask people these questions. I ask them these questions. Do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? Answer, I renounce them. And the second question follows closely behind, who is your Lord and Savior? Answer, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. There's the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. And this gate couldn't be more different, says Jesus, from the, the broad or the wide gate that leads to destruction. That gate is, is broad, so broad that maybe you don't even know that you've passed through the gate. You're simply going on day after day, following the crowds, doing what they do, thinking the way they think. You don't have to really renounce or, or let go of anything before traveling through this gate. You can take all the baggage with you. The narrow gate is Christ. The broad gate is the gospel promoted by our culture, or the, the worldview in which we find ourselves. Its motto is today, and this changes throughout history, its motto is today, you do you. Pursue the things that delight you. You're good the way you are. It's the world's the world that's messed up. You only get to live once. Serve yourself first. Pay yourself first. Express yourself. This is the gospel of expressive individualism. And this is the gate that you'll drift through. And you'll drift through it even if you choose not to walk through it. It'll just take you that direction. And this is because life in this world is a little bit like a moving sidewalk. The culture is always forming us. It's always shaping our imagination. It's always molding our wants and our loves. It's teaching
teaching us how to live, and we don't even know that it's doing that. It's because we're breathing in the air. We're drinking the food lake. Like, I'm working in my garden at this time of year, so yes, the illustrations are coming back. Um, but if I were to just leave that garden be for a year, it wouldn't be the same when I came back next year. It wouldn't be just, you know, brown dirt. It would be weeds. Everywhere weeds. Because nature abhors a vacuum. There's always stuff working to, to take over the garden. And that's the way it is in life, too. There's always stuff impacting us, shaping our way of thinking and our way of loving. And that is taking us towards a specific gate. And if you don't go over the rails or, or hop off the flow, this moving sidewalk will slowly take you down the road that Jesus says ultimately ends in destruction. And I think we get this, and we experience this perhaps in our own lives too, or in the lives of people we know or love. I mean, why is the gate that leads to the party on Saturday night? But agonizing ten years later, is the journey that leads through rehab. The road to good times and a house filled with many glittering things is, is paved with little shiny gold credit cards. But dull and cramped is the debt consolidating office at the end of the line. And if you give all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to the pursuit of career or wealth, it will take it. And the final return on that investment might just be a bunch of digital zeros in your lonely bank account. Be careful what gate you enter or drift through. That gate will slowly disciple you and it will take you a direction. Is that a direction you want to go? If Jesus is the narrow gate, then the road the narrow road that leads to life is a life that is lived actively under his tutelage, his coaching, in obedience to him as a disciple. Dallas Miller makes the important observation, I think, that this narrow road is, is not referring to theology or, or getting your, your thinking right about Jesus. Right? Good theology, that's an important thing, but it's not, it's not the path that leads to life. The road that leads to life is a life that is lived uh, and is mastered by Jesus. You're learning to submit to him. Uh, the word translated narrow in verse 14 can also be translated as difficult. This is not an easy road. The life of Jesus is not necessarily simple. It's, it's constrained. It's difficult. He's going to invite you to take on practices that rub against the grain of your being, like forgiving someone who's wronged you, or loving your enemies and blessing those who curse you. But this is the way, says Jesus, that leads ultimately to life. This isn't really all that hard to understand either, I think. I mean, in, in order to enjoy many of the best things in life, you need to discipline yourself. 
If you want to get good at running and, and to experience the joy of running a 20-kilometer loop through the forest, I mean, you can't just go out there and do that right now if you haven't been training. But if you've been working up to that, all of a sudden 20 kilometers can be, instead of being total agony, it's complete delight and freedom and joy. Or if you want to master a musical instrument, for instance, when you've got to walk down a narrow road to master that instrument, while all your friends are hanging out after school, you're practicing scales and memorizing theory, and it's so boring. It's terribly boring. But slowly, the way begins to open up for you, and those scales become useful. And suddenly you find yourself playing stunning works of music, like, like Bach or, or Elton John. You can, you can play freely, and it's, it opens up this whole new world for you. And then one night you play a number for your friends on the piano, and afterwards they'll say, I wish my parents would have forced me to practice more. Right? Because they see the freedom you experience on the far side of that difficult road. And what Jesus is saying to us is that he's saying, give me, give me the reins to your life. Trust me to be someone who puts the right constraints on you so that the way opens up to life, the fullness of life, and eternal life with me. Elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus talks about the yoke. I put the yoke, put my yoke upon you. It's, it's gentle. I am gentle. It's easy. It's light. Trust me. It doesn't look that way at first, but slowly it opens up into life. Enter through the narrow gate. For wise the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many are on it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, um, I find it interesting that uh, probably the time that our city is the most quiet, when there's very little traffic on the road, Sunday mornings, right? There's little congestion to get to church on Sundays, unless you're stuck in triathlon traffic, you're up late or something. Um, this narrow way can at times make you feel lonely. But I don't think that Jesus' main point in this picture is for us to do the number crunching. The book of Re Revelation tells us that, that the kingdom of heaven is a robustly populated place. In the vision that God gives to John, Jesus sees, uh, John sees a uh, Jesus is the John. John sees a multitude that no one can count. So Jesus isn't talking about numbers here. I think he's simply exhorting us to take this call seriously. And he hammers this home at another point in Luke's Gospel. There someone asked Jesus about numbers, the number question. And he asks, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Jesus declines to answer this question directly. Instead, he simply says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. 
you don't always know where that path is going to take you until one day you're like, oh, I want to get off this path. How can I get off this path? Life is serious. Today, Jesus wants me to hear that, to consider that, and then to enter the narrow way. You don't want to flap around in the rafters for very long. Nor do you want to drift slowly down the road that leads to trouble. Instead, come to the water. Come to the life. Fly through the narrow gate and experience the full wonder of God's good creation. 